Welcome to episode 186, The Return of the Black Hand, Zips. And we'll explain what Zips is in a minute. Well, transmitting high atop of Florida's peninsula at 108 feet, this is Alpha Mike, and you're listening to Raider Cop Podcast. This is not the episode that you probably thought that we were going to have according to our crazy schedule. We had for February 1st, Guns. But unfortunately, I am saddened to say that yours truly, Alpha Mike, had a death in the family. My aunt, my mother's sister, my mother has passed passed away uh, almost 40 years ago. But her small or little sister, which was 83, I believe, passed away. After a recent uh, surgery that she had, she contracted COVID and uh, didn't make it. And um, so as a result of that, that kind of threw me off. I did have two episodes pre-recorded that helped me out tremendously. But uh, I didn't have time to uh, contact my co-host and kind of explain all that. Uh, detailing so we have uh, rescheduled that program guns on the 15th of february with uh, kilo sierra and we are going to discuss the state of affairs dealing with guns and the crazy gun control advocates that are emerging by the tons and what's coming our way. So that's going to be an interesting show, and I encourage you to listen. So um, recording this one, and I know that it's going to be uh, a great benefit because our fans that are part of the uh, Wise Guys series are always, always within earshot of a good story. So today we're going to talk about the zips. Now, before we get to all that, I want to discuss a little bit about uh, our roster. I've uh, upgraded it on RaiderCopNation.com. That's how you can get in contact with us. There under the section that says current... Uh, episodes or current or future episodes, you can click on that and uh, you'll see that the shows or the episodes and their dates are a little bit clearer than they were before. It was, it was, it was a mess trying to understand that. So we cleaned it up a lot. So keep that in mind. Also, we want you to follow us on Wimkin. And you can follow us, Raider Cop Nation or Raider Cop Podcast, or you, or yours truly on Wimkin 
Alpha Mike, but it you can look me up as uh, Martinino, M-A-R-T-I-N-I-N-O. And uh, I will be on Wimkin under that name. All right, let's hit the word of the week. Commit your works to the Lord, and your thoughts will be established. Proverbs 16.3. And we also, don't forget, every uh, twice a month, we're doing the Word episodes on Radio Cop Podcast now on Saturdays. So twice a month, you can hear the Word. We'll explain what I just read in a lot more detail. Not necessarily 15 minutes or less. Some shows might be a little longer, but still for your spiritual growth. We encourage you to listen. All right. We got a lot to discuss in this episode. First things first, let's get the agenda and the so-called nicknames out of the way. Why in the world do La Costa Nostra members refer to Sicilians as zips? Well, it has nothing to do with zip guns, and it has nothing to do with zippers. But what it does have to do with the way they speak the Sicilian dialect at a high rate of speed. Too fast for Americans to try to understand because their Sicilian dialect or Italian is not at that level. Therefore, they struggle as they hear every other word in rapid succession, giving them the name Zips. And we'll discuss why the Zips are here in America. And what do they do? that American La Costa Nostra members don't do. Are they a part of the La Costa Nostra? Or are they mafia members from Sicily? Or are they too different and distinct? A lot of people think they know the answer, but they usually come up short on the real answer. Today we'll look at it from the point of view how law enforcement has looked at, studied, prosecuted, and convicted this entity. Interesting show that I want you to pay attention to. So, time to get the short bus and listen to episode 186, The Return of the Black Hand. Zips. Return of the Black Hand, episode 186, Zips. 
Now, I want to talk about two specific individuals in leadership roles that were very instrumental in bringing the Zips to America, and we'll explain why they did. The first one being Joseph Bonanno of the Bonanno crime family. Of course, uh, Don Pepe would exclude himself from any dealings in the drug industry. If we remember that in 1957, in the Mafia Commission, they ruled that the drug business was a no-no at that point. Those Costa Nostra members that were involved in drugs were allowed a time to about uh, three or four years to close those businesses out. And from that point on, anybody dealing in drugs, it was a death sentence. But not necessarily was the rule. So bosses had to distance themselves or any knowledge of drug, the drug business or allowing their members to continue in it. But it was a lucrative business that came in right after prohibition with alcohol and they started racking up some pretty big bucks. They weren't just going to turn their back to it. So it was done on the sneak, on the slide, underneath the table. The bosses would act like they didn't know what they were doing. But Joseph Bonanno would instruct the cigar, better known as Carmine Galante, to go to Sicily, accompany him as those agreements would be made specifically in Sicily. And that was probably in the 40s. So the Bonanno family would take a major role in this. Right after the edict, they would continue. But it, remember, was not permissible under the new ruling to American Costa Nostra members. So they started to import primarily as liaisons to communicate with those entities in Sicily, and they could, the bosses, exclude themselves from the conversation because they didn't talk like the zips and fast rapid precision. At that time, if it would come back, well, they would be deemed to be renegades, a no-no, and they would deal with them. But by and large, everybody knew that that's what they were doing. Carmen Galante would eventually go to prison for a long time. But when he came back out in the early 70s, he came out with a bang, remember. He blew off 
the gates to the mausoleum of Frank Costello's grave, letting the mob world know that the cigar was back. And he was going to take what was his, what his boss Joe Bonanno gave him. Not only the family, but the rackets of the drug business. And he would take that by force. If you remember, and we're going to place that on the show notes, the episode we did on the cigar killed a lot of people, a lot of made men that stood in his way because the cigar was old school and those agreements were agreements not to be broken. He imported a guy by the name of Sal Catalano and he would represent the Zip faction. There were others, but we're going to concentrate on Sal Catalano for this episode. There was another boss that did the same thing very eloquently too, and his name was Carlo Gambino. Of course, Gambino always had to keep up with the Joneses. He was always behind because, remember, Joe Bonanno was an original. He was an original boss from 1931. And Carlo Gambino was not made until 1957 when this edict came out. So Gambino having a lot of connections in the Sicilian underworld as well with relatives, he saw the opportunity to race at the heels of Bonanno, which probably had almost two decades ahead of him. Other Mafia member families were involved on the sneak, on the slide, underneath the table, like the Genovese family, mostly during the Luciana era, and the Lucchese family also, during the French Connection episode, they had a few, let's call them renegades, but not at that, not at this stature as Sicilian imports. That was only exclusive to the Bonanno and the Gambino family. Of course, the Colombo family, the rule was established by Carmine Persico, no drugs, period. So you didn't have to head, spin your head around it. Did some of them do it? Yeah, but not to this level. So Carlo Gambino brings in his relative, John Gambino, and brings him into the circuit of La Costa Nostra. It was known that John, or believed that John was a made member of the Sicilian Mafia. Not necessarily was it ever confirmed. It was an FBI uh, revelation, but never really confirmed. And if that is true, he'd probably be one of a very few, if not selective few, that were took the oath for both organizations because they're totally different. Same principle, but different in philosophy. 
John Gambino, born in 1940, would come to America and establish himself in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, under the uh, permission of his second cousin, Carlo Gambino. His father, Tommaso, <clears throat> excuse me, Gambino, was a cousin of Carlo Gambino, first cousin of Carlo Gambino. And his dad would open up uh, the position for his son, John Gambino. John Gambino would be a, become a member of Costa Nostra and serve as a soldier. But he had specific duties, and that was to keep the Sicilian imports in line, check them in, make sure they understood that they should not step on any toes of Costa Nostra members in America without permission. The Zips walked carefully. They knew that their business interest was a lot bigger and more detailed than the Americans were doing. So they tried not to get in their way, even to associate too much with them, period. Now, there were incidents, but that's why these men were created by the bosses to fix those little situations. John Gambino would later be followed in by his brothers, Joe Gambino, Sal Gambino, and his brother-in-law that married his sister, Erasmo Gambino, another Gambino, little distant down. The Gambino faction, with the exception of John, would be sent to New Jersey. They would be known as the Cherry Hill Gambinos, and they would set up shop there, including Daddy Tommaso Gambino. John Gambino would stay in Brooklyn. He was basically placed under the influence of Jimmy Brown was the capo. And they would direct the Sicilians from 18th Avenue. As time went on, their purpose was there. It was known and it was fastly moving. Daddy Tommaso Gambino had a connection in Sicily with his close friend, Tommaso Buscetta, which was a boss of the Sicilian mob dealing in heroin. The deals would be made and the routes would be established. Let me tell you how basically it went down. Morphine would be brought and supplied by connections in Turkey. It would be trafficked or smuggled into Sicily. And in Sicily would be processed into heroin. And it would be sent to America through routes in pizzerias and as supplies. So if you order, let's say tomato paste it would come in a can but inside the can there was some other little goodies for the pizzerias this would be known as the pizza connection John would end up owning 240 pizzerias in America 
these supplies would be sent through New York, Illinois, Wisconsin, and spread out. And the heroin would be brought to America and ready for trade. A little different than the bananas, but similar in the turkey and Sicilian processing, the bananas would use pizzerias as well, but they also had a very distinct established routes through Canada that were done by the cigar long, long time ago. And they were still in place. John would eventually end up being a capo, but not until John Gotti's administration. Let me explain. Once John came to this country, he came in the early 60s. He came, actually came in 1958, got arrested, deported, sent back to Sicily, came back in 64, lingers around, but Carlo Gambino, second cousin, doesn't make him. He's an associate, he's a hangaround, but he's not a member. That would come after Carlo Gambino's death where Paul Castellano would make John Gambino boss and introduce him to La Costa Nostra in America. 1986, John Gotti was ready to make him a cop. See, John Gambino was a little bit of a loyalist to Paul Castellano because they were somewhat related. The death of Castellano was not a good one, but there was fear in the air that the zips through John Gambino might have some problem with what occurred. Whatever differences there was, it was rectified by John becoming a cop and establishing his roots on 18th Avenue. There would be a multitude of Sicilians that would grow from John Gambino. John would establish a huge empire, as I said, 240 pizzerias with his brothers. They would start in uh, these pizzerias called Father and Son Pizza and uh, through Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and you name it, they would acquire property in the Dominican Republic, Venezuela, Pennsylvania, and wherever their money was welcome. They would establish a network of over a billion dollars. John was also into the restaurant business, the meat market business, the construction business. John Gambino would establish relationship with people that would later be known in mafia circles as the Inzarellos, which were a powerful clan in Sicily, but some Inzarellos would make it to America under John Gambino. The partnership would also include the DiMaggio clan from Sicily. They would establish as I said, a $1 billion pool of money through the networks 
and their primary responsibility was the drug business. But John would take that money and make it legitimately through these businesses that he had. He'd bring in people like Lorenzo Menino, Domenizo Safalu, okay? That these are individuals that are in charge today. Frank Alley, okay? That was recently killed maybe three, two or three years ago by some crazy guy. But this is the Zip and the Sicilian faction in the Gambino family. They would uh, establish themselves and move around a lot freer within drug circles. The system was created to funnel money, distance the family from what they were actually doing, give them a statute to do it in this country with other Costa Nostra members that knew that, well, they're with the Gambinos, what do you want me to do? Kind of attitude. Now we'll turn to Sao Catalano. Sao Catalano would come to America and he also, when he got to America, came under the hand of a specific couple in the Bonanno family by the name of Pretro Licata. Licata didn't do things the way he should have. And the way I figure it is because he was gunned down by the Bonanno family. So something didn't go right. At that point, Sal Catalano would be elevated to the position of Capo again, ruling the family. Probably somewhere in the area of 1976, he would take that position because the cigar, remember, is still high, mighty, and in charge of the Bonanno family. Once he came out of prison, he ruled with an iron hand till 1979 when he was gunned down by the, the order of the commission, the cigar, Carmine Galante would be no more. It's believed by FBI circles that as soon as Galante was killed by the commission, that uh, Sal Catalano took the position of acting boss or street boss for a period of time until he was told to step down and he did because the network that they had were, was that powerful and the power came through the money that they were generating and the deals that they had made that a lot of people just were not privy to they didn't know anything about this but how can you say such a thing Alpha well Paulo Gambino was known to tell his underboss, Neil Delacroix, nobody deals on drugs, and if they do, death penalty. Well, you can't say it in that sentence and then tell him, except my relatives that are in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, they can do whatever they want. Doesn't translate very well. Joseph Bonanno, in an interview in 60 Minutes with... Mike Wallace, daddy of the Fink, stated that if Carmine Galante did these drugs under his 
administration, he had no knowledge of such a thing and did not approve of it. That's what he said. Not necessarily what he did. So there was, it worked for those bosses, but everybody knew the truth. A lot of these deals of who dealt with what was at the one level, the boss's level, nobody else. Nobody else needed to know, period. So when Carla closed his eyes and said goodbye, Paul knew that the Cherry Hill Gambinos were important. And the word went out, hands off. Joe Bonanno, in the 60s, when he goes to Arizona, he's gone. That's why the Bonanno, Bonanno Wars break out, because everybody wanted control. Control of what? Control of that huge empire. But the guy that was in control of it, the cigar was in prison. Couldn't wait to get out either. So, within the Bonanno family, there was a lot of fighting, a lot of shooting, a lot of killing to who would be the boss, primarily because of that trade. The cigar would be there from probably 1971 or 72 when he got out to 1979, and then Rusty Rustelli from the Bonanno family would become boss. But Sal Catalano was that secret sleeper that was moving the trade, sending up the envelopes. Nobody really knew much about the deals that were done by Boss Joseph Bonanno in probably sometime in the 1930s or what Carlo Gambino had negotiated probably sometime in the 1960s. They didn't let too many people know, if any. But mob members in America knew, eh, just stay away from it. You'll be better off. Sal Catalano would run with guys like Giuseppe Ganchi and Benny Zito. They, he would have a bakery in Queens, and he would work his operation from a place called Queens Boulevard from all things a public telephone out in the street. Sal would throw in a couple of some chains inside the telephone, and bingo, there'd be some Sicilian dialect back and forth through code words, and business was booming. Sal Catalano would come into business with other prominent Sicilian drug dealers as well that would cause a lot of uh, problems for them later in, in the form of a gentleman by the name of Buscetta. But even though the Catalano would be taken down right after the commission hearings in 85-86 through the pizza commission or, the, or the, the pizza connection case he would be sentenced to 45 years but he would 
eventually be released on November 16th, 09, only serving 24 of those years. It's, be it's believed that Sal Catalano is underneath the radar, somewhere within the structure of the Bonanno family. Nobody really understands, but he has not come in contact with law enforcement, so something is going good on both sides. Sal Catalano will also have individuals that would later be removed, and they are Cesar Bavantir and Baldo Amato. These are the two bodyguards that the cigar Carmen Galante had. But they believed that the banana drug trade was theirs. The big guys they called Bonventieri would have to be removed. Now, they were there the day of the hit on Knickerbocker Avenue when Carmen Galante was killed at Joe Mary's Italian rest American restaurant. And they were the bodyguards, but they were there to give the final shots to the head to make sure that the deal was done. That means that there was a negotiation. Phil Rusty Ristelli would take over right after Galante would be killed. So somehow these two had negotiated that position. But it wasn't to the liking of Sal Catalano. Therefore, the Bonanno family got rid of that problem. The two bodyguards would be removed. Sal Catalano had his enforcers. He dealt also with John Gambino. The two would create tremendous empires. One could not really be more sophisticated than the other. I'm sure during the era that they were doing what they were doing, one would outdo the other and vice versa. But they would work together. Today, we look at the Gambino family and we look at people like Lorenzo Menino and we can say he's part of the leadership of the Gambino family. A lot of people say that the true boss is Sellaflu. And Frank Colley was actually running things. And it's not the guys. But we really don't know, do we? You see, John Gotti was the boss. He had turned that power over to his brother. His brother's still alive. We know that Carmine Persicle... He ruled almost 30-something years behind bars. Vika Musso, Lucchese Karang family, behind bars, ruling. So, who is the real boss? Nobody knows. Of course, law enforcement likes to believe they do. As soon as the first rat tells them something, they, we got the scoop. But the truth is that this operation runs separate from Costa Nostra with equal power. But they're just not in the day-to-day -day business of La Costa Nostra in America. They're on a secret assignment. They have one role. And that one role is produce 
tremendous amounts of money in the billions and keep a low profile. It's been said that in the Gambino family, the structure that later went into the commission, that killing informants would no longer be looked upon as good. The Sicilian faction of the Zips that started taking power within the families started to come up with different rules. And, but they would examine things a little bit more intelligently. And they would tell their American counterparts, okay, if this, if individual X snitched on the operation, is that operation current today? If the answer is no, nothing lost, nothing gained. If the operation is yes, the answer is yes, is the operation still the same as what this person knew? The answer is no, nothing lost, nothing gained. So, in other words, what they were saying is a rat is only good from the information that he knew yesterday, but not what he'll know tomorrow. So, therefore, killing him was just a complication because the order had to go out, the crew had to handle it. Next thing you know, 17 people know this guy's gone, and those are 17 possible rats. So the new thing is shelving you, throwing you out, getting rid of you. Go away. You bother me. Simple as that. Now, at the same time, the Zips and the Sicilians would come up with get people involved. They need to be vouched for. Who are they? Our American counterparts have made some real mistakes like with Joe Pistone and the Bonanno family, too close for comfort, they over, almost made him. And the Gambinos also had their problems also with Falcone, secret agent over there that of the FBI, Garcia, that he uh, almost became a made member as well. So the Sicilians said, we need to know who they are, who their father is, who their family is, and a little bit more detailed. And we need to get their families involved in what we do too, not only him. You see, because if he becomes a rat, they all go. So the Sicilians now, their verdict would be a lot more harsher, but a lot better for business. They have cleansed money back and forth. And they've done it very effectively. John Gambino would die of cancer in prison. And what was left, he would give to his uh, nephew, which is Frank Colley. Colley started establishing a network of American Costa Nostra members and their factions dealing with Sicilians. Now, the Enzarellos and the the Maggios in Sicily were under a a war with uh, Toto, was his name. 
and Reina. And he was, they called him the beast because he was an animal. And that's why people like John Gambino and his father ended up in America back in the early 60s. Why? They were avoiding this guy. But this guy passed away. He's dead. He's no longer around. And now, today, guys like Lorenzo Menino are following up on what Frank Kelly was establishing more roots in Sicily. Recently, a lot of John's brothers were arrested in America and in Sicily for some of the things that they were doing. They were arrested with uh, Italian warrants and so forth. So this is not over by a long shot. The Bananos have to have their sophisticated system, which they've been using through Canada with the Resulta family. And the other families, again, they have to go on the slide underneath the radar as well, but they're not as sophisticated. So do the Zips have a role in current Costa Nostra in America? The answer is most definitely yes. Because if you deal with power, and power is money, and you have influence in the sphere of organized crime, then you are a player. And the Zips are players. Americans don't like them very much, especially since they talk so fast. But they have to recognize they're players as the envelopes get passed around. Up next, the Dominican officers of Florida. We will uh, bring them into the picture with episode 187, Dominican Law Enforcement Officers of Florida. And uh, we want you to connect with us on, uh, again, on social networking. Real quick, we are on MeWe. Wimkin and CloudHub and Parler, if it ever comes back, those are our four networks. Twitter's been taken down, hallelujah. Facebook will follow March 1st. How do you find us on these other social networks? Easy. Raider Cop, Raider Cop Nation, Raider Cop Podcast. Or oh, we'll pop up in one of those. Just look us up. As always, it is my honor and pleasure to be your host on Raider Cop Nation. Continue to be in prayer for yourself because without you in the game, we have nothing. Continue to pray for your community, your family, for the law enforcement agency that serves you. And boy, do we need it more now than ever. Continue to pray for the United States of America. This is Alpha Mike, and I'm out.